forever. Dog. Just between us. Hey. Just between us. Hey. Hello. I'm Allison Raskin. I'm a writer, mental health advocate, and I dyed my hair very dark. Looks good. I'm <laughs> Melissa Demonts. I'm a writer, producer, director, and co-hosting today. So as, as some of you might know, Gabby is currently recovering from top surgery, which is very exciting. Um, but they weren't able to join for uh, this recording. So Melissa and I are going rogue. This is thrilling for me personally, Melissa. Why is it thrilling for you, Allison? Well, because, you know, I love your perspective on things. I love making you spend time with me. And we can also now do some sick burns to Gabby and, and we don't get to see them react to it until weeks later, which is always fun. I like that. <laughs> I like that a lot. What do you want to talk about up top? Do you have any any big news? Jeez, I've been in hibernation for the last two weeks. Like I, I haven't, I have not experienced the real world. This is the most that I've talked. I've been sick. Like I have a really bad sinus infection. And so uh, I've watched a lot of TV and slept. So I really don't have any like life shattering updates for you. I started watching the Marvel Cinematic Universe from the like I'm watching it in order of the timeline. So um, that's been fun. Does it make more sense watching it in this order? Especially watching uh, Captain Marvel. It makes a lot more sense because she's very early. She's like, what's the first one? First is Captain America. And then I believe it's Captain Marvel. And then we jump to Iron Man. That's a big jump. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it sucks to be sick, but has it kind of been nice to get to rest or it's been too much rest? I mean, it's not even like it's like real rest, though, because like I I'm not sleeping as much. So I'm just sleeping when I can. So I don't even know if it's real rest. I know I keep being like, oh, it'd be nice to get sick. But then I'm like, no, sick is bad. I I just want a vacation. (laughs) I haven't been sick since 2019, too. So this is like. It's real. It's really bad. And I used to get sinus infections and respiratory infections all the time. And so this is the first ailment that I've had. So it's been pretty bad. I don't like it. And you also live alone, which sucks. Yes. It's, you can't be like, bring me tea. I know. But also, like, I don't like to contaminate other people. So I'm also like, I kind of appreciate it. So, yeah, because I don't want to get my germs on other people. I don't really Big care about that. Mine. Big fear of mine. I only care about other people getting their germs on me. Yeah, it's both <laughs> for me. So. Like sometimes if a guest is coming to say, I'll be like, do I have to have the same strict level of not letting their bedding touch anything or would they not care? And sometimes I misbehave a little bit, but still a level of hygiene most people don't have. Wild woman. <laughs> what have you been up to? Oh, just desperately trying to finish get through my finals because I turned the book in but then I was like and I was like oh my life will get easier but then I have all these stupid stuff I still have to do for school like I don't want to be in school anymore well you've got less than a year left right yeah yeah hopefully done in spring of next year fall end of July hopefully summer okay summer Oh, this is just between us, by the way. A variety show filled with heartfelt advice. 
ridiculous gains <laughs> and brutal honesty. Yeah, I just feel like I'm on the cusp of burnout um, and maybe have tipped into it. Yeah. Like I just don't feel like myself. I'm getting riled up far too easily. Mm. Um, I'm finding it harder to shake negative feelings. And to me, that is like a sense I'm not, I'm on the cusp of something. When's your last final? Um, Next week. So okay. I have a paper due and then like a take-home test due. And so hopefully once I hit next week, it's just I have to go to this wedding in between. And so like traveling cross country in the middle of all this is like stressful to me. Yeah. Because if I could work on an airplane, then it would be better. But I don't want to take my laptop out on an airplane. And so then I just lose two days and I'm have to work while I'm in Florida due to my mental illness. And that's just um, that's just where I'm at. Have you seen these um, new glasses that it's kind of like where the Google smart glasses left off? But there's these new glasses that you can like plug into your phone and like use it. It projects like a screen up and then you can use it. And they the example they show is like people on planes. And what? so I feel like this is going to be a game changer for me. Oh, my God. Yeah. I could, you like type in the air, like on like a fake I don't know, keyboard? you don't type on the air, but you like type on your phone. Oh, but I feel like if I had my either like bringing just like a wireless keyboard mm. or one of those keyboards that you can type, but I don't think that they're very receptive yet, but I feel like they'll get better or just my iPad. Yeah. I feel like it'll be a game changer. That's so true. Wow. We've got a lot to look forward to. We do. Which ties into the topic of today's episode. Oh, yeah. We've got a great episode for everyone today. We're being joined by Carmen Rita Wong, whose new book, Why Didn't You Tell Me, is all about her mother and her lineage and family secrets. And it's a really fascinating conversation. And later, we'll be discussing our predictions for 2023, what we think this new year will bring for all of us so in excited. the world. <laughs> We're recording this in 2022, but this will air in 2023. So it'll be a couple weeks in. Yeah. So we'll see. Even when it comes out, maybe we'll mm -hmm. have already been wrong about stuff. Or right. I yeah. prefer to be right. Me too. My ratio of right to wrong, I feel, is about 50%. I feel like I'm pretty like 97% right. But first, we have got to answer a listener's question. And you know what that means? Hit it! International question! International question! International question! H. Chicago. Chicago. A city I have got pneumonia in twice. Twice? Yeah. Ugh. My lungs suck. Yeah. And I guess so does Chicago. No, I love Chicago. I know. I really like Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> All right. H writes, hello, TLDR. My high school ex got engaged and I have no idea how to feel about it. Longer version. In high school, I dated a boy for almost four years. Looking back on it, our relationship wasn't great and he was kind of an asshole. He broke up with me right before college, which I was completely blindsided by. It ended up being quite messy and the relationship overall has had really negative impacts on my mental health in the long term. I have OCD, anxiety, and depression. It has been over five years since we broke up. We haven't talked at all in about four years and I have been in a happy and healthy relationship for almost four years. I just saw a Facebook post from high school boyfriend's mom that he got engaged. I have no idea how to feel about this. 
I feel kind of upset, but feel like I shouldn't be upset since I am now in a much better relationship than my high school relationship could have ever been. How should I feel about this? How do I reconcile feeling kind of upset about his engagement with the fact that I don't want to be with him in any way at all and I'm very happy in a different relationship? I've been following you both since the beginning of the BuzzFeed days and you have both helped me grow so much. Allison, you have made me feel so understood and like I could be a capable and healthy adult with OCD. Gabby, I first started realizing I was trans listening to an episode of JBU. Thank you so much for sharing all that you do. You both have helped me grow up. This is all very confusing. I think it just like speaks. Well, first of all, I love that that final paragraph. That was so nice and amazing. <laughs> and then I think it just speaks to this sense that there are right way to feel about things. Mm-hmm that like there are certain feelings that are good or certain feelings that are bad and that we should curate our feelings to be the healthiest version of ourselves. And I just don't know if if I think that that's true anymore. You don't think it's true that there's a right or wrong way to feel about something? Yeah. Yeah. I've never thought that. You can't force feelings. Like feelings are going to be what they are. Like even if you're like, I want to feel good about this, Like feelings come from the inside. It's not something you can control, really. You can control your actions, but you can't Mm -hmm. really control how you feel about the situation. So I don't think we can tell you how to feel. I think you just need to, if if this is what you want to do, you just kind of just sit in how you are feeling. Like, do you want to be upset about it? Do you want to be happy for the boyfriend? Do you want to, or your ex-boyfriend, do you... Like, want to be mad about it? Do you see yourself, had you seen yourself marrying the boyfriend at some point? Did you have like a, a, a long-term boyfriend in high school? Oh my gosh, no way. I didn't have a boyfriend where like I could say this is my boyfriend until freshman year of college. Okay. But yeah, I mean, I think lo- young love is still very confusing because your emotions are so strong around it. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if what H is reacting to is not being able to identify their feelings. And I know as someone with like anxiety, like that can happen where like, I'll just like have this feeling where I'm like, what is this? Mm -hmm. Like, it doesn't feel good. I don't know exactly what it is. It doesn't feel terrible. And then it's like this sense of like, oh, I should, you know, excavate this and figure out exactly how to name it. Right. I think a lot of times you know, being able to talk about our feelings is helpful. So then we think we need to be able to describe all of our feelings. Right. But sometimes you just can't describe it. Like, because it's such a mix of things. It's just like, and and this is such a nuanced situation where like you expect a certain reaction perhaps from yourself that maybe you're not having. And so then you're trying to figure out the reaction you are having. And to me, my takeaway from this is sort of like, you don't need to do anything here. Mm Mm-hmm. You don't need to describe your feelings. You don't need to try to shift your feelings. I'm sure like as time goes by, it will like occur to you that this person who was really important to you at one point in your life is now getting married to someone else. And that is something that's going to cause a reaction in you. But I don't think we need to like put that reaction into like a like a neatly folded box or something. Yeah, and we don't have to. You don't actually have to like react to it either. You don't have to, if you don't want to tell him congratulations, you don't have to tell him congratulations. I don't even, it doesn't seem like you even follow him on Facebook. You're just following his mom. Like if, if you find out that you're upset 
about this, then I would unfollow the mom to or mute. I don't know how Facebook works. I haven't been on Facebook in years, but like, can you unmute them? Can you unfriend them? So then you're not getting life updates because like what happens when they actually get married? What happens when, you know, maybe they have kids like these things. These are other emotions that could come up in the future. So just removing anything that's connected to him, if that will help you feel something, if that's what you want to feel. And I also think that like, there's this thing of like what we feel about an ex somehow reflects what we feel about our current relationship. And therefore, if we miss an ex or if an ex brings up a feeling in us, then that must mean something is lacking in our current relationship. And I I just don't think that like, I don't agree. They're two separate things. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't think that you should parlay however you're feeling about this engagement onto like it meaning something about your relationship, your current relationship. Like they're just different times in your mm-hmm. life. They're different experiences. You don't need to read too much into any of it, I think. Right. Agree. Well, hopefully that helped. If you want to submit your international question, you can send it to justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. That's justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. Stick around after the break. We'll be asking Karma Rita Wong some tough questions about family secrets. Just between us. Come back to Just Between Us. It's time for the juiciest, most scandalous, most controversial segment known to all of podcasting. Tough questions. Carmen Rita Wong is the author of Why Didn't You Tell Me and has a 20 plus year career in media and many years of nonprofit work. Thank you so much for having me. We're so excited. I mean, you've done so many things in your career, but we really want to dive into your memoir and what it was like to kind of lay yourself and your family bare for for everyone to read and learn about. What is the difference for you between doing novels and nonfiction? Oh my gosh, this is such a big difference. I've written a couple novels, but nonfiction, when you say, you know, me and my family bear, it's mostly me. It's mostly me. And it's really about, you know, me and my mother and the secrets that she kept, especially one giant secret about my origins. Mm. (laughs) And she took to her grave and me trying to figure out why would somebody do that? Somebody just as a person, why would someone do that? And what kind of legacy am I living through and trying to bring forward? So it's very, very different. Let me tell you, it is 15 years of weekly therapy. No joke. (laughs) I'm serious. Listen, you got to know yourself before you write a memoir and examine yourself. So the research was like twofold. The research is through the family and then the research and, and genealogy and all that sort of thing. And then boy, do you have to really look at yourself and why you are the way you are for sure. And so can you sort of talk us through just the the premise of, of the book and when you decided that you wanted to write it? Yeah, look, I mean, my family has a very interesting background, as many families do, especially families of immigrants. But considering where I ended up in life, like having the daily TV show and stuff, it's it's really wild. You know, my mother came from the Dominican Republic. My uh, She was married off for money and for paperwork to my Chinese father, who was a gangster. And, and they, we lived up in Harlem and that's where our lives started, my older brother and I. And when she divorced him, she ended up marrying Anglo-American dude who was in graduate school, Columbia. So the complete opposite of my father, Papi Wong, who was my father to a whole different world. And he brought us to New Hampshire 
which was the shock of all shocks. But mostly it was about, you know, taking us away from our family, our origins, and then what this country can do to you in terms of what assimilation, the price you pay for assimilating, which is devastating and caused my mother's mental decline. And then she just, she ended up taking this secret with her about who my father was and I had to figure it out myself. And then in the end, I'm not gonna tell you the end, but I gotta tell you what happened when I handed in the book. When I handed in the book, I still didn't have the answer. Mm. It was really about more the process, getting to know her, getting to know myself and telling this very wild story of my origins and how I ended up, you know, doing television and being professor and all that. And then I handed in the book and I refreshed ancestry, which I hadn't done in months. And ping, there you go. So I called him my, my, my publisher. And I said, I got to write an epilogue. (laughs) (laughs) And um, I did. So I, I ended up with my endings. Life is very strange in that way. Things happen. I'm so curious about your relationship with the man you thought was your father and how learning the truth affected that relationship, if it, if it did at all. You'll, you know, the, I, I lived with my stepfather more than Poppy. Um, but the fact that we, my older brother was also a Wong, we're Afro-Latino and Chinese, as you can imagine. And my cousins were as well. So we all came out all different. Our side looks very Dominican and my brother looked much more like Tiger Woods. And then my other cousins came out completely Asian looking. And so it was very normal for us to have all of this mix. And so we were in Harlem. We'd go down to Chinatown with Poppy. And I have some great stories of him bringing us, you know, to his bosses. Very gangstery situations, but cute. I mean, I was dressed up cute, so it was fun <laughs> and exciting. And then, you know, it's funny because my stepfather, I, I for a while, I wanted to be part of his family because of my mother. And he ended up having four, my four younger sisters. Oh, wow. Who I was second mommy to, as happens mm-hmm. many Latin families, Caribbean families, like the oldest daughter is the mother in many ways. But Poppy, you know, he passed away. It actually taught me a lot. He was the father who wanted me. Mm. So he always sought me out. The only time I wasn't getting phone calls from him was when he was named Prius son. But he always was trying to have a relationship with me. That realizing that in the end, especially once I had to, you know, say goodbye to him, it meant a lot. And he was not a nice person, but he Mm. always wanted a relationship. And I have to say that, you know, that meant a lot to me. Was he not nice to you or in his business or in all of his relationships? Oh, um, you know, I mean, he was abusive, man. He was a gangster. So he was very, he was abusive to my mother and that's why she divorced him. And he was, could be quite a cruel person, but he was also incredibly charming. Mm. So imagine, you know, we all watch The Sopranos and we all watch all these, you know, and Ozark and all these gangster stuff. Imagine that all Chinese. That was that circle of my life, right? So very charming. We all can love that kind of villain sometimes in some ways, particularly if they're a parent and you want to have parents, you want a right. father, you want a mother. And my mother was abusive too. So it was complicated, but in the end, having somebody who wants to have a relationship with you is incredibly important as opposed to you having to take care of or chase after a parent, which is more so my stepfather's situation. 
you know, it's like, if I'm always the one I have to pick up the phone, you know, it's like, who wants a relationship with you? That mm-hmm. to me is incredibly important. And that to me defines family much more so than the biology, really. It's who shows up for you, mm-hmm. for sure. Marty is your, your uh, stepfather, right? Yeah. And how old were you when you, when your mother married him? I was four when they married and five when we moved to New Hampshire. My brother is six years older than me, much bigger shock for him too, because he was a boy. And thankfully, my mother learned to drive. So we drove back and forth. She drove us kids. Marty never went back and forth to the city to see family. Because as you can imagine, we went to this place where, first of all, we were not welcome. Okay. We had the police called on us with like the first week we were there just for driving in our own neighborhood. So we didn't feel like we were part of that, my brother and I. Mm-hmm. Very much so, even though I was only that young. We left everything. My grandparents were there, my cousins, Tia's, Theo, everybody was in the city. So that's the ties that we kept. But New Hampshire didn't have ties for us. I'm so curious about the origins of your mother's two marriages. I, I know you acknowledge that the first one was being against her will. And then I imagine the, the second one was different. Can you kind of walk through how she ended up with these two very different husbands? Well, the first one is just, uh, you know, I, I hate to say it, but it's a very typical immigrant story back then. Um, when you come fleeing a dictatorship, my grandfather was a rebel, a revolutionary against Trujillo, the dictator in the Dominican Republic. You know, he had been kidnapped and tortured and all that stuff. So he managed to get out with help from his sisters. They dressed him as a woman and smuggled him out of the hospital where he was being guarded. So, and they got, got him on a plane. They came to this country and because my grandmother was not his wife, also very normal to have more than one family. So we weren't, they weren't, <laughs> Allison's like, that's not normal. It was normal. <laughs> um, There's so many know, people that have, you know, yeah. secret Melissa, families. Melissa, come like, on, you know, it's like, yeah. <laughs> this is normal. So the way to get paperwork to be legitimately in this country, he couldn't do that with my mother's mother, with mm-hmm. my grandmother. Right. So he paid two Chinese gangsters to marry his two daughters. Mm-hmm. And they were teenagers. Uh, my mother was 19. My aunt was, I think, 16, 17. And you do not question a Dominican father in 1960. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. So you just do what you're told. And that's how that happened. But then as my mother's here in the city and, and discovering life, and then she's working at Oscar de la Renta's um, salon as a seamstress with my grandmother. Oscar was Dominican. I don't know if people know that. She got exposed to this life of freedom, right? This life where she could go out in the city and enjoy herself. And she would have friends over the apartment and play music loud and dance and drink and eat and all that. It just opened her up incredibly. And in terms of poppies, you know, she had her own money because she was working. I didn't see much of her when I was a kid because she was working a lot. We got shuttled between sitters and family. But, um, you know, look, she discovered freedom. Poppy was abusive and a gambling addict. And uh, she said, I'm out. Then she got introduced. We lived by Columbia University. So we lived not too far from Columbia, which back then was much more Harlem than it is now. And... Our neighbor, my godmother, was taking classes there. And at a party, she introduced my mother to this gentleman, Italian-American from Detroit, 
who was in graduate school for economics at Columbia. And that's how she met husband number two. (laughs) But I tell you, it's like, that's what New York does, right? Like that's, it brings a bunch of very, of people that would never cross paths ever. And it brings them all together. And then you see what happens or what can happen. I mean, I'm surprised she was able to get a divorce, you know, like, was there major pushback and pressure from her family to stay? Like, did that cause a big problem? Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But understand, she had her own money Mm. at that Mm -hmm. point. And if that that's like one lesson I've learned very quickly is that women having your own money allows you the freedom to leave when things are bad. So that's, you know, her putting her to work early on actually is what gave her the freedom to get out. What was uh, her relationship like with Poppy Wong and then the difference with Marty? Well, I'll tell you this again, Poppy stayed in our lives. So when we came to visit the city, which was, I, I say it in financial terms, once every quarter, uh, once a quarter, we come back to the city and we'd always see Poppy We'd go back down to Chinatown or whatever. He called, he was present. He visited New Hampshire once did not come into the house because it was another man's house. And her relationship was cordial because what she wanted is, my mother was a survivor. She wanted her kids to survive. She wanted him to give her money to pay for our education. And she wouldn't let Marty be responsible for my brother and I. We were Wongs. So Poppy was responsible for us financially. So it was in her best interest to keep a relationship with him. And she did. And like I said, like he could be charming and cordial. So once they split, like we didn't see that side of him for a very long time. And then with Marty, what was thrown in and very sadly and kind of what breaks your heart is, you know, I I write about what assimilation did to her and what the fact that he wanted her to assimilate so bad. So no Spanish in the house or Chinese, no Spanish, Chinese food, no Dominicans, nothing. We even started dressing differently, super conservative, all these things. It was like the biggest robbery you can imagine. It's like all of a sudden you have this house full of incredible stuff and it's just gone. Everything is just gone. All you got is four walls. And that kind of destroyed her. And, and, and he was part of that generation, which I don't vilify any in the book, but he was part of that generation, that Anglo generation of you must melt into this pot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that now we would call very much racism. And making us feel bad for who we are. Straighten your hair, you know, cover your shoulders, you know, don't eat that, you know, speak, you know, learn how to speak English watching the news, hence the way I talk, you know, that Mm -hmm. that sort of thing. So it was a very different relationship. And unfortunately, the white knight that she thought she was getting, it's like, it, it doesn't mean it's freedom. She ends up having six children. I mean, it's, it raises the question of like, why did he marry her if he didn't want who she was? Why does any white man marry somebody of another race or ethnicity and then also not think highly of them? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? I can't say. I mean, I will say this. They initially had a very passionate relationship. My mother education stopped at 15, but she was so smart and so curious. We, you know, she read the news, every, every single piece of newspaper or Newsweek or Time. And back then, you know, that's all we had were magazines and newspapers and, and the news was on all the time. It wasn't a surprise. I ended up in the news business. Like that's <laughs> the way it was. She was so smart. So I think they bonded in some ways. I think it was a very physical relationship. I do think there's an element of exotic 
ness, mm-hmm. right? But all that stuff just falls apart because he probably didn't get to know her really. She may not have let him. And I don't know how much she cared about knowing him completely either. Right. Did she continue having her own money when she married Marty? No. Because she was continuously pregnant. Yeah. And then the thing what happened is, is that it, she went from having her own money and having a vibrant social life in the city to being in this cold, pale place where she didn't have a social life, where she was continuously pregnant. And what she was doing was is she thought she was getting the American dream. He built her house, taught her to drive, got her a car, you know, got her teeth fixed. He fixed her teeth. He, you know, got her contact lenses. Like he really did all these kind of like upgrade situations. And it, it's hollow stuff in the end. It's really propped up as the American dream back then, but it's really hollow if you cannot be yourself and you cannot be with people who know you and love you and appreciate you and your origins. What was the trajectory like for you to sort of realize how whitewashed your home life was? And like, how did you reclaim like your culture and identity as you grew up? Well, when you're a kid, you want to fit in, right? I, I wasn't ashamed. I was actually really proud of my background, if only because as sometimes awful as my mother was, she did a lot of things right. She was very wise. And I would come home crying because somebody's making fun of my name or making fun of my hair or making fun of whatever. And um, she really would prop me up. She would say, look, you are an individual. You are a Carmen Rita Wong. There is no other Carmen Rita. Like you are just that person. And she bought into the idea of meritocracy. So she bought into the idea that I, and she told me, I am just as good as anyone else. I am just as deserving as anyone else. And I bought that. I bought that shit. I really, <laughs> really did. And, and she, and even with, with boys and men, I mean, she really projected onto me everything she wanted in life. But New Hampshire was difficult. You know, I was like a little show pony. I was like, you know, the older kids would be like, hey, talk Chinese you know, talk Spanish, say something in this, say something, you know, can you dance? Can you do all the stereotypes thrown at me? But then the nuns sometimes would be mad because of course I was an overachiever. My mother was like a tiger mom. She might as well have been the Asian one because that's how tough she was. And I was getting straight A's and all this stuff. And the nuns hated it because there was a lot of racism with those sisters and they thought the least of me. And it really pissed them off, especially when I did well. And they were French Canadian. So I had to learn French. And I did well because I was exposed to Spanish and Chinese. Spanish was my first language. Then there was English and then there was Chinese, Mandarin. Like, of course I could learn another language. And it was just wild because my brother was really, he really wanted to put all of New Hampshire behind in his head. He could not, it hurt him so much. I mean, they wouldn't let him play sports in middle school because, you know, he was a black boy, right? They, Mm -hmm. They used other words, of course straight to my parents, just straight to my mother's face. So he had a really tough time and he put it behind him. But every once in a while, we would have these conversations about our childhood and like what, how, you know, how we turned out versus others and what was good and bad. And I would say to him, you know, here's what we got from New Hampshire as tough as it was. It demystified whiteness for us. It demystified American whiteness. The idea that of superiority, right? Instead, I saw around me the best and the worst Mm -hmm. and everything in between. 
And I was like, well, that's just like us. The best, the worst. And you got Oscar de la Renta, and then you've got, you know, Dominican drug dealers, Washington Heights. You've got everything in between. So we're all that. And so my brother and I were able to see the world as full of opportunity. Yeah. So that was a, that was a plus. But it was, it was a lot of negative. But yeah, a lot of racism. With you and your older brother, what was your relationship like with your other siblings? Well, my brother and I, we called each other the Wonder Twins. Anybody <laughs> old enough to remember that? The superheroes, because we were so tight. Mm-hmm. We shared things that nobody else shared. My brother's the only person who knew me completely. My sisters, I love, 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 love to pieces, always have, always will. But when you parentify a child and make them the, their sibling's parent, it's bad. Like, yeah. it doesn't bode well for a good relationship. You're playing roles. I'm, I wasn't able to be a kid. And you put me responsible at 11, 12 years old for four little babies, like under the age of six. Like, I, I, how could, could I possibly, you know, do great? I did my best, but I was a kid. Um, and I've spent decades, you know, trying to, to make up for it in many ways. But they also didn't share with my brother and I this incredibly different, rich, urban, colorful background. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't. So they were very different. And I, I say in the book, um, I will always love them more than they love me. Were they treated differently? Yes. And my brother and I were treated as the typical firstborn, put everything into us, toughest, you know, and then the, as the younger they got, the more, you know, if I came home one minute, 30 seconds, or even when the clock turned 10, if my curfew was 10 and it was 10 and I got home, Oh my God, I was toast. You know what I mean? <laughs> mm-hmm. Then, then as a subsequent kid, then they would just like stroll in whenever, you know, you know, be throwing up because they were drinking all, it doesn't matter. And my mother would be like, oh, it's the rice. It was the rice, you know, like stuff like that. And meanwhile, she'd come up to me and smell my hair and smell my, like smell my breath and make sure it was crazy. So it was a completely different life. And like, I say to people, the most interesting thing I came across that, that really helped me understand all this was, Every sibling actually grows up in a different family. Your parents are in a different place. The world is in a different place. Finances, relationships, the way you look, your name, you know, all of those things have influence on who you are as a person. So they came out very different. And the relationship with their mom and dad was very different. And then also Marty lost his job Mm. in um, the big crash in uh, 87. And the white knight fell off his horse and did not get back up again for four years. And that devastated his relationship with my mother and the youngest siblings because she ended up having to go to work and leaving the little kids at home. It was was hard. We're going to take a quick break, but stick around. And we're back. And when did you find out that your mom had been keeping this pretty significant information from you? <laughs> Allison, pretty significant. It was very <laughs> significant, Allison. <laughs> you know, in my 20s, my late 20s, after a divorce, starter marriage divorce, um, I, I had first married young Latino striver like myself. I came back to the city, of course, as soon as possible um, and married this guy and was trying to get back my Latin childhood. Mm-hmm. through his family and through him. And that was an absolute nightmare. 
So that ended and I was like still on this search for who I was. And I started just questioning things. I don't know. You know, you listen, your gut is smart. You know, your gut's really smart. And my gut was like, there's just something wrong. I, there's something off. I don't feel like any of you. Even as close as my brother and I were, we were also very different. He was very much more Chinese, but he spent more time with Poppy. So I chalked it up to that. But there's just, it was just, we were so different in so many important ways. And then I was so different from my sisters. And I always felt like this kind of like orbiting moon. And then my mother converted, she divorced Marty and she converted to evangelical. She had to confess her quote unquote sins to someone. So she called my brother from his working life. He had graduated from, you know, first graduated from college and the family. Um, I was the first girl, whatever, but he was the first boy. And to tell him that she had had abortions, she had had three abortions, two before me and one after me. Mm. Well, when my brother told me that, I was like, okay, this all makes a lot of sense now. I have a different father. There's no way there's, that's gotta be it. You know, and of course she wasn't, she didn't mention that, nothing, but I just knew that that made sense. Why, why, would why she else that? would she have done it? Why would she have right. two abortions before me, then me, and then one after, like what? Right. Shenanigans. <laughs> so that's when I started really thinking about it, but it wasn't until she got sick and was dying of cancer. And um, Marty, my stepfather, who was then living on his own, was dating a woman, told this woman that he knew that I had another father. And this woman was like, you're going to let her mother die without telling her this? Like, what? Like, who's going to tell her? You know, so he felt guilty. So he told me. And then I had to confront her about it. And unfortunately, she told me a whole nother story, a whole nother story, a whole nother lie, a big, very well-constructed one that wasn't proven wrong until genetic testing. Mm. Let me tell you, nothing like DNA kits and the advent of that to, to surprise a lot of families with a mm -hmm. lot of things, including mine. Then came my search, my true search. So yeah, but I'll tell you why she did it. Well, I, I don't want to say the whole book, but why didn't you tell me? It, it's really, this is a story about this country. Mm -hmm. Women, its relationship with women, women of color, um, immigration, patriarchy. I mean, that's really what it's about. And I get it. But she really, if she had told the truth, our idea of who she was would have completely fallen apart. And it was so important for her to tell her own story, to make her the big person. She needed that. She needed to be a perfect, wonderful person. Were there other people other than Marty that knew? Well, come to find out. So <laughs> since the book came out, I got cousins coming out of the woodwork who I haven't seen and spoken to since I was a little kid, right? And we used mm -hmm. to hang out and play in the street and all that stuff. These are the cousins we used to play with in the fire hydrant in the summer, right? And they're all coming out and they're just like, God, I'm Mina, my mother told me about you're looking for your father and this and that. The other thing, so the gossip is like, we always like, there was gossip. There's people said that, that you were somebody else. And these people, these cousins thought it was this and these Tia's thought it was this one. So when I did the DNA test and I was really starting to try to call out to family and try to get information, people were saying, follow this lead, follow that lead. And that's what I did. And it was hard. But in terms of who knew it was this particular person, 
I think my godmother did because I finally, she told me a whole nother story. She was protecting my mother mm-hmm. the whole time. And once I sent her a picture of him, I said, did you know this guy? And uh, she was like, oh, yeah. You know, so she wouldn't admit it, admit it. But I knew she knew. But I think she was the only person really who knew. The whole family thought it was all these other people. Mama was a rolling stone. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> it is this thing of like, you get that they're doing things out of loyalty to your mother, but you're also a person and deserve loyalty. And then so how did you sort of like sift through the, the emotions you must have felt towards those people in your life? Well, I'm, I'm not happy with my godmother <laughs> at all. I mean, my mother's gone. Like, what's there to protect? Like, right. what are you what are you taking with you? Like, I'm a person. And that's the thing I said, you know, when I confronted my mother about it, she said, you know, oh, this is this was mine. This was mine to tell. This is my secret to tell. And I was like, no, see, I was a secret when you were doing the duty, when I was in your body. But when I was born, I became a person, not a secret. I am not a secret. So you got to have to deal with that and that I'm a human being that deserves, that has the right to know. So and in terms of Marty, Marty knew the whole time. He didn't know the real person though, by the way. But uh, he knew that I wasn't poppies. And so these adults not telling me to protect themselves, it doesn't sit well with me now as, as an adult myself. I know it's, it's pretty much just speculation, but do you know why she told Marty? Because she told him it was him. Uh. <laughs> that he was the father? She had three men, three different men, all at the same time thinking I was their child. So she had had an affair with him into her marriage before she divorced. Remember those abortions? Mm. Mm. Yeah. So think about it though. Three men at the same time thinking I was their child. I have to say, as many troubles I have with my mama, come on, that is some... (laughs) Like, I look up to her in some way. I'm like, damn woman, you, you knew how to just get it done. Like she, she knew how to survive. She survived. How has all of this impacted the way that you parent? Oh my gosh, so much, (gasps) so much. So the reason I've been actually in therapy this long is because my daughter's 15 and I refused to parent, you know, the way I was raised. And I had the, the background of having, you know, had to parent my sisters to know I didn't want to be like that either. Like that I had to learn a different way. I was not, I didn't want to recreate all the things that I have, you know. I didn't marry well myself, by the way. So I divorced my daughter's father too. But I was just replaying things. My first husband was my mother. My second husband was Marty. (laughs) I was trying to fix shit, okay? Um, But my daughter, I was like, no, I'm not going to give her that legacy. So I have a very different relationship with her. She is so, we have such an open, honest relationship. I don't demand respect as a someone you fear because that's the way I was raised. I get respect because I respect. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have a mutually respectful relationship. Though, you know, sometimes I will tease her about the chancla. Mm-hmm. It's coming, you know. But she and I have a very different, because I ended up being a solo parent to her by the time she was four. Okay. Um, so we've had to be very close and just very different communication. And also, too, I'm not trying to control her. 
I'm not trying to control her as a person and I'm not projecting on her all, I'm trying not to, by the way, I'm not perfect. All of my hopes and needs and desires, like I'm really trying to see her and appreciate her and know her as an individual. And as I do that, like, I think she's pretty cool. You know, it's like, it's really (laughs) nice to like, get to know your kid as a person. Right. I mean, like, oh my God, I like you. You know, whereas my mother used to say to me, she'd say, I love you, but I don't like you. Oh, Mm. that's so hurtful. Oh, please. And I'd be like, oh, please. I don't like you either. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I would say. Like, I don't like you either. But I I really want my daughter and I to like, like each other. And she's, she's pretty cool. So I highly recommend that. Get to know your children as individual people. Mm-hmm. It's cool. I also love that growing up in a family where obviously appearances meant a lot, where your mother was very much curating how people viewed her and what people knew about her, that you have now kind of broken that and are so open about the good and the bad. You know, it's because having had this um, career that was kind of forward-facing television and all that, hearing from so many young people women, and I mean, Black, Latino, Asian, all of them were, I just heard from so many and it just filled my heart who were just like, I see you and I, and that, and I can do that. Like you, like seeing you and seeing where you come from, like I could do that. And that means, that means the world to me. And that was me as a kid in the library reading books. I didn't see any books that, of people that are women that look like me or us or nothing, but I did see the world as full of opportunity and possibility and telling people, telling stories and telling your own story and telling American stories. I mean, American, like all around American stories, which mine is, Mm -hmm. is incredibly important. And I take very seriously the idea of representation. Sometimes we don't always want it because we're not perfect. But I, I really believe that, you know, knowing that my story is an American story means I hope that there are piles more books that can come because we need to know that because I was raised with the idea that it was, you know, Dick and Jane. Yeah. Right. BS. No, like we're here, obviously, and we are changing this country we have. So tell our stories. It's very important. And plus, when you get old, you realize, you know what? Vulnerability is strength, right? Mm hmm. Right. That's yeah. It's the basis of of my whole career in a lot of ways. <laughs> yes. Something I'm actively working on, but yes. <laughs> yes, Melissa, yes, work on it because it re- it really really is and it brings people closer to you. I mean, the one thing I'll say is that lies I learned, you know, lies separate you from people. Mm-hmm. And I could never while my mother was alive, I could never know her as fully as a person. No one ever knew her fully as a person. How lonely that is how lonely that must be. Like, and trust me, I've been married worth a couple times. I've been hurt like crazy, but I just keep going because I'd rather, you know, live in that truth than not. But I've also had to come out of the closet, which was a big deal. And I didn't get to put that in the book. (laughs) But that was a big part of me taking off that mantle of what I needed to be in order to get ahead professionally. Mm-hmm. I was already a woman and brown. I could not also be queer. Right. So that changed when my daughter decided to tell me when she was seven, and I fully believed her, trust me, that she loved Demi Lovato. That was that. 
And I, I believed her. And, I, and it made me say to myself, well, how dare I go around and, and, and lie still if she can be so honest? So, yeah, that's why I did it. I did it for her. I love that so much. You know, yeah. Kids will keep you honest sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> they certainly are honest. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, this has been so, I mean, I could ask a thousand questions, yeah. but now I have to make you play a silly game show. <gasps> love silly game shows. <laughs> So this game is called Hypotheticals. You and Melissa are going to be my contestants. I'm going to give you a series of hypothetical situations. You can ask any clarifying questions you might have, and then you tell me what you would do in that situation. And sometimes I pick a winner. Sometimes I don't. It's a real okay. roller coaster. I'm really excited. <laughs> Yay! Okay, so our first game is America's favorite game show. Would you stay with this cheater? You have been with your partner for 15 years. And they are so obsessed with tennis that they play in a very competitive recreational league. You find out that 10 years ago, they slept with one of their doubles partners because this person came on to them right before a huge finals match. And they were afraid that if they turned their partner down, their energy would be off and they would lose. Oh my gosh. What'd you say with this <laughs> cheater? <laughs> What did they do to cheat? They had sex. Before the match? Yeah, right before the match. Because it's, you know, it's a really wild time. And they thought a rejection would turn their partner into a tizzy. And they wanted to just keep the symmetry, not the symmetry, the synergy going. I'm still wrapping my head around the fact that I'm I'm with a competitive tennis player. Like, what? But it's like, like, it's like rec league, right? It's not like. It's like a rec league. Yeah. Yeah, but they take it very seriously. Okay, see, that's a problem already. That's I wouldn't be with them. <laughs> like, that's a I, problem. They take a rec league. Are they making money off this? No. So they take a rec league so seriously that they're not making money off of. And they cheat on me because they don't want to lose a game, a match. A finals match, uh, Melissa. Who cares? Yeah, for no money. If there is money on the line, maybe, but no. Nah, I'm with you, Melissa. Even though it was 10 years ago, you're out. No, I'm out. What else have they been lying about? Mm-hmm. Right, Melissa? Because this is this is a values question, mm-hmm. right? So obviously your values are messed um, because if you think that that's something that you need to do to win, bye. There's no money involved. Right. I'm with Melissa. No, absolutely not. 15 years... Listen, in behavioral economics, you know, the lost people are always afraid because they're like, oh, I've invested so much. Well, goodbye. Yeah. It's time for me to stop investing. Would it be different if this was the doubles finals at Wimbledon? Yes. Then you would understand. At Wimbledon? Yeah. yeah. 100%. <laughs> Definitely. Definitely be a different situation. Melissa, why am I with you right now on this as well? Because <laughs> they win like millions of dollars, don't yeah. they? Yeah. Well, doubles, you get paid less, I think, but okay, you could but still, still win good money. Yeah. But the, you know, that, uh, that's the whole professional athlete question. Mm-hmm. Like, you got to know what you're getting into. Yeah. When you're a professional athlete, like, there, nothing is more important. And that includes your partner, mm-hmm. meaning your, your love partner, your life partner. So you yeah. got to know that you're taking second fiddle. Yeah. That's on you. All right. So you can do this, but you have to be in the finals at Wimbledon. You got to be making, bringing some money. You got to be professional. Not bragging rights. Yeah. (laughs) God. That's gross. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Our next game is, are you a terrible parent? Your child, 11, is at sleepaway camp for the first time. 
And when you go to see them on visiting day, you realize that they have convinced everyone that they are British and have been speaking with the British accent all summer. You decide not to blow up their spot, but don't allow them to return the following year so as not to promote ongoing lying. You later find out that they have kept in touch with all of these people through a fake Instagram account where they are still pretending to be British. Are you a terrible parent? (laughs) Oh my God. Wait, are you a terrible parent because what? Because we changed schools? What did we do? The decision that you've made. So like one, that you've raised a child that did this. And then also that you didn't tell anyone that they were lying. You just switched camps. And then they were still lying on Instagram behind your back. This is a severe problem. (laughs) No, really. Like that's like psychiatric. That's you need help. Like that's that's you must go to the professionals for help. I understand the urge to not tell the camp and to kind of move on. I get Mm -hmm. that as a parent. I get that. But that can't continue. Like, especially with the fake account and all that. This is this is this is a problem that needs it's a mental health issue. This child needs help. When I was in college, I just for no reason spoke with a British accent. People around me knew that I wasn't British, but I just liked to do it. I didn't carry on this false like pretense that I was British. I just like speaking with the British accent. <laughs> I did that in high school. <laughs> I go out with my friends and be like in the mall and yeah. I'd be like, hip, hip. <laughs> yeah. And then people would turn around the attention that you'd get. Yeah. And yeah. No one would really say anything. They'd just give you a look like, oh, okay, surprising. It was just funny. Yeah. But yeah, this sounds pathological. Huh. So I would say this. I don't blame parents for everything in the sense of let's not forget that there is a genetic component and that is some mental health. That is like really serious. Maybe you didn't plan on it being that serious, but that is really serious. So I would say as long as the parent gets mental help for this child, but this is bad. Did I, as a parent, ask them why they were doing this? Yeah. And they said that they just thought it was really funny. Okay. And do people at like their actual school, do people know that they're not British? Yeah. They've only ever done it at this one summer camp. So this is kind of just like a summer identity. Yeah. But then they continued it with the Instagram. Yeah. But But they only are friends with their camp friends on that Instagram. Yeah. Huh. I don't know. Melissa's a little impressed by this. I I am impressed. I I think it's like a bit, like it's just a bit that they kept up. That they were just like, you know, with these people, I can just, you know, pretend to be somebody else. Or do do they still have like their same characteristics that they have as like in their everyday life, just with a British accent? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. Melissa, now you're taking me down that line of that this is a potential like fantastic actor. Yeah. (laughs) Like this is, uh, Comedic actor here. Do they tell their like actual friends that they're doing this like as a joke or do they just don't know about this other part of their life? Yeah, they they didn't tell anybody. I don't know. I'd need more questions. I yeah. think the mistake is that you let it keep going. Yeah. And when you went to camp on visiting day, you didn't make them own up to having faked it. Because then like when you go to camp and you're talking, you're not right. British. Right. So, and then like, they still have half the whole session where they're still doing it. But like then the kids didn't ask why you as the parent don't have a British accent. Well, they they've cu- cooked up quite a story. 
That's why oh, I was asking, my. are they keeping up with their regular life? Like, are they still the same person, just with a British accent? They they said they grew up in in England <laughs> and that you are American, that they're American, but they spent a lot of time in England. That's, yeah, that's the part I don't like. Yeah. So yeah. they're like Ilaria Baldwin. Oh, oh no. Oh, my God. <laughs> Oh, that was just because that's man. what she said. Her parents live there now, and she spends a lot of time there. Didn't oh she God. pretend like not to know the word for banana? Or it something? was like was it cucumber? cucumber? It was cucumber. It yeah. was cucumber. See, yeah. I take such offense to that. But but here's the thing: I'll tell you, this is something. If I think an 11 year old is too old for that, but yeah. when I was seven, I write in the book, right? So we moved to New Hampshire. I'm the only brown kid, and we do Thanksgiving in the class. It's the first time I learned about the Thanksgiving and they have this big mural and it's, you know, they have the native American people who are Brown and then they have the white people. So I decide, Oh, I'm native American because nobody, people would say like, what are you? And I'd be right. like Dominican, Chinese, They're like what? Like they had no other, like, what are you Puerto Rican? I'm like, no. Mm -hmm. So nobody had an idea what I was. So I'm seven years old. I make up this whole story that my name was morning dove. And then I was Native American. Oh, no. <laughs> now, listen, I am 5%, but that's not right. That's not right. And I was seven and it was because nobody, and if people treated me so badly and I saw that in this mural, everybody was sitting at the same table and they were like equals. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to be at that table. Right. So I was like, well, I'm not the pilgrim. Mm -hmm. So I got to be these characters. And I just made up this whole spiel. And then- <laughs> And of course, it was like parent-teacher night and they told my mother. And my mother brings me home and she was just like, don't do that. I'll be. Like, she was like, if you're going to lie, be better at it. Your mom stopped it though. I was seven and stupid and I knew nothing. But if my kid was 11 and, we, and I show up at camp and we're in front of people and they start talking like it and I would be, I, I, I would look, this is, this is me. I'd be like, what are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. What are you doing? Why are you talking like that? They'd be like, oh, but mommy, blah, blah, blah. And I'd be like, no, we're not. What is this? Like, I just, I couldn't. I couldn't keep yeah. a straight yeah. face. Yeah. I'm going to go with terrible parent. Yeah. All right. I like, I like our consensus. Yeah. We, we got there. <laughs> we got it. We got it. Okay. Our final game is, would you forgive this liar? Your friend offers to house sit and watch your dogs while you're out of town for a few days for free. They agree to stay in your guest room. When you return home, you notice some of their makeup on the pillows of your bed, which proves they actually slept in your room instead of the guest room. Would you forgive this liar? No. Do I confront them? Yeah. Is this a really good friend? Yeah, they, they were like watching your dog. They were in your house. They were doing you this big favor. And and they know that you're kind of a germaphobe and that you wouldn't want them in your bed, but they did it anyway. You know, I have a, a, a distant family member who does this actually for us, stays with the dogs, right? If that happened, I would, here's what I would probably do. Because if, if this person is really close to me, right? With me, you get one pass. Mm. You get one pass. I would, the next time before she stayed over I would say something like do me a favor and don't go in my room mm. or I would say leave my bedroom door closed please or something something that would basically be like don't do it 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And it's like, and then if it happened again, I would be like, no. Yeah. Why did they do it to begin with? So your bed is comfier. Mm-mm. That's not right. That's not right. Listen, I both have contamination problems and we're both like unforgivable. No, absolutely not. And then they didn't even wash the sheets. Yeah, no. I might forgive if they would have washed the sheets. Yeah. But maybe. If they did it and then told me after and were like, I'm so sorry. The guest room was really uncomfortable, you know. But I, if they did it and then weren't going to tell me, mm-hmm. I could not have them in my house again. Because no. what else are they doing in my yeah, house? I, yeah, they're wearing my clothes, rolling around the Folks, bed. Folks, this is why you get like a nest. Yeah. You get like a video camera. That's what I was about to say. That's why I have multiple cameras set up in my home. I do too. Wait, they're inside, Melissa? Yeah, you didn't know that? No. Well, Melissa, yeah. right? Yeah. Oh my god! I'm not coming over anymore. My Alexis that ha- my Alexis that have the screens on them have cameras. Yep. What? See, but do you let people know? So I do let people know. Like, I mean, I feel I just assume that people when they saw those Alexis that have screens on them that they knew there were cameras on them. I don't think people. I don't think everybody knows. No, that. I had no idea. Well, no, because I use a Nest. It's like an actual camera. But I'll say to people like I had one of the maintenance guys come and like do something to the windows, and I was like, by the way their cameras Mm. because i you know what also i don't want to be surprised by anything please like i am so creeped (laughs) out i want to be surprised i want to know what people are doing yeah when they don't think they're being watched but like oh my god the cameras are there i don't know i don't want because i I won't go down this road but i saw somebody that was getting their home inspected and something disgusting happened oh see no no I need to not know. I want to be needed, oblivious. No, you needed to know what this person did. You needed to know. And they needed to get rid of their license. Mm. Oh, no. I Should tell you, you tell this us? is why I tell people there's a camera so that they don't do anything. That's good. That's I like that. I don't want to know what they do. Like, no, it's basically like if I say if I say to you, there's a there are cameras inside in the rooms. I'm basically saying to you, don't this up like, like yeah, don't I do want, anything I, gross i want them to be like because you know they're doing it in other people's homes that don't have cameras either so then you gotta scare them oh, that's really taking one for the team but i was I'm, gonna say i'm like yeah. okay you're you're like batman and you know yeah i don't have energy for that <laughs> so sorry and my my daughter she'll be like i see the green lights in the camera and sometimes she'll if i'm not home she'll put her face in the camera and she'll be like i see <laughs> I know you're watching. You don't have it in her room, though, right? No. Oh my God, okay. no. Oh yeah, I give her. So, let me tell you, I give her so much privacy. I don't even want to go in there. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't want to know, girl. Don't give me a reason. If you yeah. give me a reason, I will go in there. Don't give right. me a reason, and yeah. she doesn't. So I don't go in there. But yeah. you better believe there's a camera where I have like my booze. Oh, and, interesting. And stuff. Wow. Yeah. And at the door to see who comes in and who comes out and when. Yeah. Huh. Wow. You guys are really operating in a surveillance state <laughs> over there. I mean, I don't have like I don't have them in the bedrooms, but I have one like outside. So then if you were to walk into my bedroom, I would know that you walked in there. Mm, same. All right. I'll be on very good behavior the next time I come over, Melissa. Now I got to <laughs> check to see what you've been doing. If you're that on pins and needles. I guess I just because my fiance always threatens to put cameras in the house just to mess with me. Okay, no. Well, as a goof, because I do a lot of weird stuff. 
I do a lot of dancing. I sing a lot of things. It's nice. Yeah, but I just like to feel unobserved, to feel free. Same, same. I mean, you can turn it on and off, but usually, you know, if I'm not home, I need to know what's going on. Yeah, that makes sense. Oh my goodness. Well, what a journey we've been on. This was so fun. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for joining us. And where can everyone find your book and follow all the amazing things that you do? Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for having me. Both of you are fabulous. And this show is wonderful. You can get my book and and see more about me at just my name, CarmenRitaWong.com, Instagram at CarmenRitaWong. There's only one of me, pretty much, as far as I know. So you can go find me there. And I love to hear from people who've read the book. So let me know. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Stick around. We'll be talking all about 2023. just between us it's time for topics x x x x baby baby <laughs> that's my impression of gabby this is i didn't get high enough or loud enough oh yeah you should have been screaming more throughout this whole episode I should have. you're right <laughs> does it feel weird that they're not here yeah it does right it i does. thought it wouldn't feel that weird but it does feel weird. it does feel weird there's things that I would normally not be saying that I'm saying now. So yeah. Like stick around mm-hmm. <laughs> or even the exes. Yeah. Oh, that's true. Mm-hmm. But it's nice. It's nice to keep up the routine. Yeah. Okay. So I thought because this episode will air in January, we're recording in mid early December ish. We could get into what we think this next year will bring both for ourselves and the world. Okay. Do you think it will be a dumpster fire of a year? I don't think it'll be a dumpster fire. I think it'll be a little bit better than this year, for uh, mm. a little bit better than 2022. So this airs on 1-11, two years after an insurrection, but we're like a lot of the people are being charged with things now. So I think that's yeah. interesting. I think it'll be interesting too with what Trump, because he's got some charges and he's trying to get out of them. So I'm interested to see how that goes. His presidential run. Yeah, I'm very interested to see the Republican primary. Yeah. And what happens there. Here's my prediction. I don't think he's going to be the nominee. Really? Yeah. Who do you think it will be? Rick DeSantis. I was going to say, I was going to guess that Rick DeSantis will be the Republican nominee. And then do you think Trump will run as independent? Yeah. I think him and Kanye West are going to be running base. <laughs> because <laughs> he said he's running too okay so we've got that coming up all right that's that's a big guess that we're, that we're making but i think mm-hmm. it makes sense i think that covid's gonna get worse again yeah i mean it's already they're telling us to start wearing masks in i've been wearing masks everywhere which is why i haven't this is the first ailment that i've had since 2019 when they tell you to start wearing masks again says something because I think it was premature. Well, they should never have gotten rid of the mask mandate. No. That was a huge mistake. No. Do you think that there'll be another lockdown? I think it is too early to tell right now. But I do not think that there will be another lockdown just because of one, we'll be going into election and politics make are a key factor in that. Mm. 
And then two, because the vaccines are available, I don't think that it'll be as bad as it was before. I do think it'll get worse but at, than it is right now, but I don't think it'll be as bad as it was in February, March 2020. Yeah, I think that there won't be another lockdown, but I think there will be mask mandates. Mm-hmm. And I think starting in like the second half of 2023, there will be a lot more conversations around long COVID. Yes, 100%. That I think that this like laissez-faire thing that everyone's doing right now where they're like, it's like the flu. You just catch it and then, you, then you're fine. I think that that conversation will shift towards the end of the year um, where people like cannot deny that this is like a mass disabling event that yes. is still going on. It's still going on. And there will also be more education and more research being done because I know... Mm-hmm. A lot of people that have had COVID and people that have had COVID while they were pregnant have been asked to be parts of studies, too. Ooh, other world news. I think I just don't know. I mean, I think I think the economy is just guessing about everything. I think there will maybe be some dips in the economy. I think a lot of people are getting laid off. Mm -hmm. Do you think Biden's going to be the Democratic nominee? I do, because I don't think that there's anybody else that they can use as a see as a unifying force. Agree. Agree. What do you think this year will be like for you personally, Melissa? I don't know. I have in years past have been pretty certain about how my life would be. And this year has been just like a lot of surprises that I wasn't expecting, not necessarily good or bad, just surprises. And I think next year I'm going to just, I'm going to try a lot of new things and I'm just going to see how they go. What kind of stuff? I'm going to get into, I'm going to take a gymnastics class. I'm going to maybe take an acting class for funsies. I'm oh, gonna, that's so fun. I'm going to figure out some hobbies. I'm just going to just throw stuff at the wall and see what hits. Kind of like what I did as a child. Like I was very active in a lot of activities as a kid. I'm really leaning into becoming the nerdy kid that I once was. I love that. I mean, I feel like I saw something that was like, we need to like reconnect with who we were as kids because we like knew who we were then. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, I think a goal for me is to be able to play tennis again in 2023 because I've had a long, a long break from it. But my knee's getting better and I, I think it'll be slow going. But if I can like get back on the court at all, I think that'll feel really nice. I got some tennis balls. I want to learn to play tennis. That's another thing. Yes, learn to play tennis. I'm getting married next year, which is wild. Me too. (laughs) I know you think I'm joking, but. I don't necessarily think you're joking. (laughs) (laughs) So that'll be interesting. There's some stuff to do before that. We want to go to premarital counseling, Mm -hmm. which I've never done, obviously. And then I won't. We're going to have to like figure out a prenup, which is going to be interesting. Those are like two unknowns I've never done. With your premarital counseling, will it be like religious based or just counseling based? Just a therapist. But I got to We got to like figure out, you know, because it's hard because it's like we're not going because there are problems. We're just going because I think it's a good idea for everyone to do. Yeah, there's plenty of like programs and stuff that have that. Yeah, it was it was really cool. My wedding planner sent out like a checklist. And one of the things was like, find a great premarital therapist, which I think is such a cool thing (laughs) to be like getting more popular. Hopefully I'll finish school, which will be like amazing. You're finishing. 
yeah, I, I feel very up in the air about my career. Most of my contracts are ending, like my my Substack contract ends, my AMP contract will probably end. I'll obviously keep doing the Substack. I think that's mm-hmm. like a real goal for me is like figure out, you know, because this past year I've had it where I've had a minimum guarantee. So like Substack was paying me to write and now it will switch over to being more dependent on my paid subscribers. Mm-hmm. And there was like a moment where I was like, well, I don't have enough paid subscribers for it to like really make sense for me to put that much time into this. But now I'm like, I don't know, with the way that the world is, I'm like having your own fan base is like the safest career stability you can have. And so I'm like, actually, I think I want to like really deep dive into Substack and try to grow my audience there more and really try to figure out a way to use it more collaboratively and like community based than I've had the time to this past year. So that's a big career goal is to like, is to kind of like revamp my Substack and use some new approaches. Yeah. That's exciting. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, I'm really proud of like the stuff I've done on there this past year. Um, But there's like, just like, it's a really cool place because they're always doing new stuff. Like now there's like a chat option that like I haven't Mm. launched yet, but I'm going to launch next year where like I can chat with people. And then also we're going to get to release all the emotional support lady podcasts Mm -hmm. wide soon. So that'll be fun. Very exciting. I think for Substack, you should try to do like some cross promo with JLo because I know she has a Substack. (laughs) Yeah, that'll be on my to-do list. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Anyway, if you're listening to this, please follow my Substack, Emotional Support Lady. But I do feel very scared. Like I feel like I don't know what next year will be, especially financially. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm trying to allow for that to not terrify me. And I also want to like really think about like what I want to work on instead of just like chasing money or chasing like things that come to me, like really sitting down with myself creatively and being like, what story do I want to tell next? Which I feel like I haven't done in a while. Yeah, I understand that. Yeah, I want to get four things written over the holiday break. Four? Yeah. Wow. I think you can do it. I know I can do it. That'll be great. I did two last year. You already know what they are? Yeah. Wow. This is with my soap opera. I'm going to do, I'm going to write a screenplay that's like a prequel to it, which might help. Ooh, like a feature. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so fun. Yeah. And so I think that might help with things. Right. A big goal for me is also to to heal my relationship with social media. What's infected? I mean, I just think it's a sense, and I don't blame myself because it's like what I'm told from my manager of like, well, if you're not viral, if you don't have this many followers and like you can't do anything. And so I really internalize that. And like every single day, I feel like such dread that I'm not popular enough on social media <laughs> to have a career. And um, I need to like that. It's like it's like poison in my brain and I need to move away from that. And I need to just like focus on like the process and like the content that I'm making instead of like how it's necessarily received. Yeah. I think being true to yourself helps a lot with authenticity on social media. And then like, if you're just making things for you, then it's not the poison is not there. And like, I think the pressure to like always be making, but allowing myself to be like, you know, maybe these four days, I don't have an idea, but like trusting that in a week, I'll have another one. Mm -hmm. So that's like, I'd say in terms of like my personal goal, that's a huge one for me. I think that's great. Thank you. 
look at us. We're going to just be playing tennis and Mm -hmm. mentally balanced. Yes. (laughs) As DeSantis and Trump and Biden run for president. Oh, God. (laughs) What do we rate this episode? I'll give this episode 20 out of 10. Mama was a rolling stone. Ooh, I will give it 73 out of 69. We miss you, Gabby. Very good. (laughs) Thank you so much to Carmen Rita Wong for being our guest. Just Between Us is a Forever Dog production hosted by me, Allison Raskin. And me, Gabby Dunn. Produced by Melissa Diamond Monts. Edited by Coco Lorenz. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, Alex Ramsey, and Tracy Soren. Brendan Burns composed our killer theme music. To listen to this podcast ad-free, sign up for Forever Dog Plus at foreverdogpodcast.com slash plus. And check out video clips of our podcast on YouTube at youtube.com slash foreverdogteam or on our channel, youtube.com slash show. Make sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Forever Dog Team to keep up with all the latest Forever Dog news. Also at Allison Raskin, at she is not Melissa at Gabby Road, Emotional Support Lady Substack, Patreon.com slash Gabby Dunn, and also Allison's book, Overthinking About You. Go and leave a Goodreads or an Amazon review. Um, You can also go to Scribd and see my book, Stimulus Rack. But Allison's, give them reviews. Okay, bye! Forever!